0: Our Old Testament reading today is from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 27 through 31. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was this evening, and there was the morning of the sixth day. Our gospel reading today is Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, "'Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me.' But he said to them, "'Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you?' And he said to them, "'Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions.' Then he told them a parable. "'The land of a rich man produced abundantly.' And he thought to himself, "'What should I do, for I have no place to store my crops?' Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves. But are not rich toward God. The word of the Lord.
1: It's actually one of my favorite parables, Um, but we'll get to that in a minute. I want—I just want to give you a little brief overview of some of what I've been doing this week for those of you that have been following some of the the tensions and. really disorder going on in the, in the broader United Methodist Church uh, that has certainly impacted us here at Riviera. Uh, I, I want to just share a little bit about what we were discussing this week at Church of the Riviera. There's, there's certainly an understanding in the Methodist Church uh, that, uh, that the church in the United States is of one mind, not of one mind, but is largely of one mind on on most issues. But because we are a global church, uh, our global partners have a different understanding, and this has become most distinct when it comes to issues of human sexuality, and particularly of human homosexuality and what that means in the life of the church. And what many, there is a broad group of leaders in the church, Adam Hamilton sort of leading it up, that says in our in our tradition right now, there seem to be what he talks about as four groups, uh, and it's a, it's a nice bell-shaped curve. Of on one end, you have uh, what he calls the term is the traditional incompatibilists. I, that's a, I just, I'm going to struggle with that word, okay? I had to really think to say that right. Incompa- try to say it yourself. Incompatibilists. Um, <laughs> and, and these are folks for whom, if the church has any position other than the complete rejection of homosexuality and gay marriage and anything like that, they simply can't be a part of the church. As a matter of conscience and their understanding of Scripture and human sexuality, That is, that's completely incompatible for them. And then he says that there are those that are traditionalists that maybe aren't totally comfortable with homosexuality but are okay with others disagreeing on that point and still comfortable being in a church with those who would disagree with them and in a church that affirms homosexuality and homosexual persons. There and there are those that he says are on the progressive end that are completely for a very open and inclusive church around issues of homosexuality uh, and then he says there are, <laughs> are those uh, that are tr- uh, progressive incompatibilists uh, for whom if the church is anything less than 100% inclusive, they cannot remain a part of this tradition. So he says, you know, and we actually did a survey in, in that group of 2,500 United Methodists, uh, and of course the vast majority are right in that middle spot uh, more on the progressive end, uh, less in the traditional end, but very few on these on these uh, either ends of the spell-shaped curve. And what Adam Hamilton and many leaders are trying to say is, can we form a, a Methodist church in that middle, which is frankly where we have always been. We've always been a broad umbrella church. We've always had people who who, who love and uh, cherish one another, who sit next to one another in pews but who think differently about issues and we can sort of agree that that's okay, that Jesus loves each person and we're okay with that. Uh, and what Adam Hamilton and others are saying is, can we form a broad table Methodist church that is unquestionably, he says, it's a foundational thing that we will love and affirm all people, that we will not exclude anybody from the body of Christ or from using their gifts within the body of Christ, or from receiving the gifts of the church, um, even if we're not all at exactly the same place. So that's sort of the work. There is a general conference that will happen in the church, which is a global gathering. And again, that seems to be the tenor of the United Methodist Church in the United States. But when we get together as a broad denomination, we get together with the rest of the world who have a very different sense of human sexuality. So we'll see how that goes. (laughs) Um, But I just want to let you know that some of the work that that I was a part of this week and that 2,500 other United Methodists were a part of at the Church of the Resurrection this week. Please, please, please pray for the church. We seek only to be faithful in the way that we express the gospel of Jesus Christ and to love and serve our communities. And that is, of course, the intent of all of us. Now, back to the scriptures. Um, we have, for the last three weeks, been talking about living intentionally and talking about this whole concept of a rule of life, which is a good Methodist topic. The term Methodist is, you know, is a term of derision for people who followed a methodical way of life, who kept to certain practices uh, and routines as a way of being faithful in their discipleship. So, a rule of life is actually a very Methodist thing, and it actually comes out of monastic spirituality that is at least a thousand years before Wesley. Um, but the sense of that as Christians, we, uh, we live, of course, in the world, and we do our jobs, and we do our families, and we do everything out in the world, but that we should have some practices that sort of ground us and stabilize us and help us to think about our work in the world, um, just as you do... In your life. You may have rules in your life around how much exercise you do in any given day or week or what kinds of foods or how often you have dessert after every meal or just once a week. Uh, Or you may have rules around, I don't know, when I was a kid growing up, Saturday morning my room had to be spotless no matter what. That was a rule in our household. You know, we have different rules that guide us. But sometimes we don't think about those in terms of our own spirituality and the way that we live our faith, and yet that's such a big part of our tradition. And so we've been thinking about that in terms of the Shema, the the Hebrew teaching that we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. So loving God, loving neighbor, loving self, we've talked about those for the last three weeks, and I have asked you... Given giving you some questions, some homework to think about how you might put a rule in your life and practice around each one of those things. How might you prioritize your love of God in your life? What might that look like for you? Maybe it's instead of worshiping two Sundays a month, you worship three Sundays a month. Perhaps it's, you know, you put into practice a um, routine of daily prayer and devotion. What might your love of God look like? What does it look like for you to love your neighbor? What practice might you put into place? Perhaps it's really literal. Perhaps it's getting to know the names of all your neighbors in your community, praying for them as you walk by, perhaps. Perhaps it is uh, Jesus-defined neighbors and neighborhoods. It's much broader than just the people who live in three or four houses around you, but rather everyone is our neighbor. Remember, of course, we read the story of the Good Samaritan, which said that even the people we don't like, the least likely people, are the ones that God says are our neighbor or who we would want to be our neighbor. And We talked about loving ourselves, and we talked about what that looks like to really uh, create within our own lives patterns that care for our own selves, As I was reading a, a book on a rule of life, the next chapter was on how we intentionally live with our stuff, our things. Because really it's, it can be difficult to really express our love of God neighbor self if we have a disordered relationship with our stuff. If our stuff takes priority over our relationship with God or our relationship with neighbor or our relationship with self, that we are so consumed with our own stuff. Genesis, of course, the very first chapter of our Judeo-Christian scriptures, starts with this call to stewardship, to the stewardship of creation, sometimes translated as to exercise dominion, that God creates the entire world and calls it good every single step of the way, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, and then says, and you, human, are to be responsible for this. That term dominion is kind of uh, more closely, it's not about control and exploitation, it's about care and about stewardship. It's about how we care for the things of God. How do we live uh, in a way that cares for all of creation, whether or not one believes the the science around climate change is actually um, not relevant in the Christian tradition because we are called first and foremost to care for the creation. Long before we knew anything about the climate, we were called to care for creation. We were called to tend to the waters and the, the trees and the earth and the animals and to one another. And so we have this role of stewardship that is given to us in the very first chapter of the Bible. And then we have what I think is just a wonderful parable where a rich man is trying to figure out how to deal with the family inheritance. And I love this because Jesus says, well, who am I to tell you what to do with your family inheritance? And then he told this parable, the land of a rich man produced abundantly and he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will put down, pull down my barns, and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and all of my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Rest, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night, your life is being demanded of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? And so it is for those who store up treasures for themselves and are not rich toward God. I love this parable of all this, oh, look what all I have done. I have this, all of this wealth, all of these crops that I produced myself. God had nothing to do with this. I will just build bigger barns and I will do all of this for myself. And then I will say to my soul... Again, what ultimately belongs to God. Look how good I've done. Ah, this, this is uh, Jesus, and particularly in Luke, there is this focus on stewardship. That rather than seeing that all of this is a gift of God, that our whole lives, that this creation, that our relationships, that our families, that our communities, that our countries, indeed, everything belongs to God. And yet, this fool in his folly thinks that it all belongs to him, that it's all a matter for him to store up. When we talk about a rule of life, we talk about how do we share our love of God, neighbor, and self with all that we have and with all that we are. How do we live More faithfully to this command to be stewards of creation. How do we live that out in the ways that we consume and produce and respond and live generously with all that God has given us? Our homework for this week is in the back on the sermon notes. Everybody's got homework. Um, there 'll be a final exam next week I'm just uh, in what ways can I be a good steward of the resources God has entrusted to me, whether it is my money or possessions, my time, my talent, my education, my experience, all of you. every single person in this room has incredible resources available to you. And I don't mean large bank accounts. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about who you are as a person. You have gifts. You have talents. You have ways of, of uh, offering yourself. How will you be a good steward of all that God has entrusted to your care in your very life? How can I best employ my gifts in the service of God and for the benefits of others? We don't want to be the fool in his folly that thinks that the gifts of God are just simply for him to store up, big, build bigger barns and bigger barns and build bigger barns. Or as the story, story Dina said, it's all about me piling up my mass of wishes and wants. Because that's an unending list. But rather, how will I use all that I have in God's service? And what steps am I willing to take in order to exercise greater stewardship of creation? What are some things that you're willing to do, some changes that you might make in your life? I have been in my own life in the last two or three months on a, on a kick to reduce my consumption of plastics, and so we have... I have been working on eliminating them in the products that we use and have found a place in Long Beach where I can refill products that we use around the house. You can refill your shampoo bottles. You can refill your, you know, hand soap or your dish soap or whatever it is that you use. I don't want to be a part of amassing any more plastic on this planet. I'm done with it. It's making me crazy. That's just me. <laughs> but what are you willing to do? What, what is something that you might do? that might benefit creation. Maybe it's advocating for a policy that would, would protect waters or the airways, or maybe it's simplifying your routines at home. Maybe it's just avoiding certain sulfates and your detergents and stuff so that they don't uh, have a life long after they leave your washing machine. But what are some things that you might do to exercise greater care of creation in your life? Now, the whole... Point of all of this is for all of us to live more intentionally within our faith. Obviously, we do this every Sunday, and this is just a short sermon series that we've done on on these four areas. Um, and we'll talk about other things uh, as we keep going here. But I want us to be thinking about these things to to put our faith as a matter of intention in our lives, not just a side note on Sunday mornings for an hour or so but rather something that lives at the center, the core of who we are, that we are people who love God, we are people who prioritize loving our neighbor, who understand how we care for ourselves and the the issues of our lives impacts our faithfulness, and that we understand that we have a role of stewards of God's creation and stewards indeed of our life as a creation of God, to care and to be good stewards. So your final exam is to go home and, and think about the rules of your life. Think about ways that you might put into a pra- each, each one of these areas a practice or two that might begin to shape you, that might begin to, to maybe reorient yourself. Uh, perhaps you've already got some of these things in place. Is there something else that you might add? I just want to invite you to be in prayer And thoughtfulness and intention. That word of intention is so important because sometimes we just blindly go through life just kind of doing the same thing over and over again, and we're not challenged, we don't change, we don't move, but our faith is one that's always calling us forward. Wesley called it sanctification, entire sanctification, that that's our journey together is that we're growing in our faith. We're seeking to be made perfect in love, we're seeking to be faithful to the gospel. Let us pray. Loving God, you call us to love our neighbor as ourselves. You call us to love you with all of our hearts and all of our souls and all of our strength and all of our might. And you call us to care for creation and to to exercise stewardship over all the gifts that you've given into our lives. Gifts of creativity, gifts of time and resources. Help us, God, to live with abundance, to live with a sense of trust in your grace that you provide for us, and to live our lives sharing sharing your many gifts with everyone we run across. Call us, God, to faithfulness and to intentionality as we seek to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen.